We are in a um, series of messages called The Blessed Life of Giving from the Heart. And um, I want you to know that my prayer for this series uh, is that um, you won't see uh, generosity or you won't see giving um, as some kind of weight uh, that is produced by duty and guilt and that you just carry around. First of all, let me ask you this. Did, did Jesus come and give you his grace so that you could live under a guilt and a load? <laughs> and yet in the area of giving, a lot of times Christians just, oh, I hate to even think about it. And so my prayer is that you would understand that um, that's not what this is all about. In fact, there's something you need to understand also is that there is nothing you could ever do uh, that would make God love you any more than he already does. Do you believe that? There is nothing that you can do to make God love you any more than he already does. And there's also nothing you could ever do that would make God love you any less. Amen. Because his love for you is not conditioned... On your behavior, <laughs> amen. <laughs> His love for you is not conditioned on your behavior. We need to hear that over and over and over because a lot of times we put our love on conditions of other people's behavior. God's not like that. There is unconditional expression of His love towards you and me. So there's nothing you could ever do to make God love you more or less. He just fully loves you. Whether you give away loads of your money or none of your money, God loves you just the same. Really? Let me say it again. Whether you give away loads of your money or none of your money, God loves you just the same. Unchanged. I hope you embody that. I hope you believe that. On the surface, I think, the, just hearing it like that, your brain knows that, but something inside of you go, is that really right? I hope you believe that because the last thing I or the Scriptures would ever want Someone to believe is that God's love is somewhat conditional on some certain type of behavior that we just happen to agree to call good. So the issue is not living under some weight of guilt-driven generosity, but rather simply understanding the overwhelming blessing God desires for you. I love you dearly. I want you to know that. I love this church. I love the people in this church dearly. And I want, I want each and every person involved in this church, in this ministry, to experience every possible blessing God has for you. Let me also say, I am not trying to get you to give more money to this church. Amen. Well, I am not trying to get you to give more money to this church. This church's financial future is where? <laughs> it's not in our hands, is it? It's in His hands. 
And all I know is that if we let God be Lord in this area of our life, especially this church will be well-resourced to carry out the mission that God has called us to. And we will live in blessing. You know, although we know God's uh, acceptance and love for us is not dependent on our behavior, there is this um, reality that choices that we make in life have consequences. Amen? Do you ever say that to kids? <laughs> Your choices have consequences. Good choices have good consequences. Bad choices have bad consequences. I, in other words, if I eat and eat and eat, I'm just not going to be that healthy. I just had to say that for my own, good, my own edification today, okay? If I lie all the time, no one is going to trust me, right? If I'm lazy, I'm going to be poor. If I'm selfish, I'm going to struggle in so many different ways. The Bible teaches that you will reap what you what? sow. And God wants you to sow a bountiful harvest of grace and goodness and life. <laughs> I would say today's message may be the most important one of the series because it uh, exposes God's desire to be first in everything when it comes to your life. Uh, he knows that He created you to live from Him. He's the source of all things. When we live for ourselves or when we live from the things of the world, He knows that we're feasting at the wrong table and it's going to make us spiritually unhealthy. And so He wants to be everything to you. He wants to be the place where you put all your faith, you, your, all your trust. I don't put any confidence in the flesh. I don't put any confidence in me. Every time I turn to my own ideas and how to live and how to manage money or time or talent, you, we just lose out on the blessing that He has for us. Every time you put Him first, every time He's honored, every time He is where He's supposed to be in your life, you're blessed. You live a blessed life. It's a, it doesn't mean you're, you're living a life free from heartache. It doesn't mean you're going to live a life free from sorrow and some pain and struggle sometimes. But there is a deep-seated reality of peace and blessing that occupies our lives, that guides us, that accompanies us. This, this whole theme of putting Him first runs throughout the Scriptures. In fact, I want to start way back at the beginning in Genesis, the fourth chapter. It's the story of Cain and Abel, these first brothers, I guess, is what we could call them. But it's a familiar story. Uh, it's legendary. Okay, it's these eight verses that I want to read to you in Genesis 4. It says, Now the man had relations, that's Adam, with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. First words Eve said out of the garden. Again she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell because Cain believed that his performance ought to matter to God. I added that last part. 
And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, Cain, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, well, sin is crouching at the door. What a picture. Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. For some reason, Cain felt obliged to go and tell his brother Abel about this. So Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against, his, against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Abel was a rancher. Cain was a farmer. Scripture says Cain brought an offering to God from the crops he had raised. And to be quite honest, we don't know why this offering was found to have no regard by God. But we do have this hint. Because the passage makes a point to expound on Abel's offering. It merely says Cain brought an offering. But it describes Abel's offering as being of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions, the most desired part. Meaning that, meaning that Abel brought his best to the Lord where Cain just gave something, feeling as though the Lord ought to be pleased that he got anything, I guess. He felt that his performance warranted favor from God. But Abel just gave. He just gave of the best that he had. So my first point is this. Give your first and best to God and you will be blessed. We're talking about the principle of first fruits today. Give your first and best to God and you will be blessed. Let me ask you, why does God want our first fruits? Why doesn't God just take our leftovers? <laughs> How many of you like leftovers? <laughs> yeah, not me. <laughs> Why does God want that which is first and best from our life? It's because He knows that is what's best for us. He knows that it changes our heart. It changes our motivation. It changes our orientation. It gives us a whole new way of living. When you give to God first, you're dismantling this power of the idols of greed, selfishness, control. God wants to free you from destructive things, and He knows that when He's first, receiving the first fruits, receiving the best from you, all those priorities just tend to line up, and the, the faith that you express in Him begins to be full and rich. I mean, think about it for a minute. You sit down, you get paid, you sit down to write out your bills. And you stop for a moment and just pray, Lord, what do you want to do with this money today? How much do you want me to give? I want to start there, Lord. Where is it that you want me to give? How much do you want me to give? You guide me in this. It's before you've even written one check. And so you, you understand how he's leading you. You write down and you, you write out your giving check simply based on, on how you feel God is asking you to give. And you don't think about how much you've got left or how much you got paid. Folks, giving is not a financial decision. 
We understand that, right? Giving is not a financial decision. It's a spiritual decision. (laughs) Putting God in the first place, (laughs) it builds that kind of faith, that trust. You want me to do what, Lord? You ever had that conversation with God? (laughs) You want me to do what? Yes, I do. Well, that's going to require an immense, an immense amount of trust that I place in you and faith I place in you. And he goes, exactly. Exactly. In a very real way, we must each deal with whether or not we walk in the way of Cain or we walk in the way of Abel. Are we giving the best and first of our lives? I'm going to give you a few examples of how this runs through the scriptures. Uh, you remember the stories of the uh, Jericho walls, how they came a tumbling down, right? And the Israelites had just crossed the Jordan River, and they're ready to finally arrive in the land that God had promised them. Jericho was that first city right on the other side of the Jordan. They were going to take this in this great conquest as they marched through the land of Canaan. You kind of have to understand the setting. I I think this is one of the most remarkable stories when you really study it and get into this entire conquering of Jericho. You see, they'd marched around the city for seven days waiting for God to give Jericho into their hands. And it was now the seventh day. This was going to be the day the walls came down. And Joshua was giving these last-minute instructions. Before they lifted up the trumpets, they gave the shout, and the walls fell. And I want you to see what Joshua told the Israelites in Joshua 6, 16 through 20. At the seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. You know, that's the battle strategy here. Blow trumpets and shout really loud. That's the strategy. Verse 17, the city shall be under the ban. It and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. It's a previous story. But as for you, Israelites, only keep for yourselves from the things under the ban. Only keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. And so the people shouted and the priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city. Every man straight ahead. And they took the city. Can you imagine being there that day? <laughs> they, they, they had waited generations for this day. They, they knew that God's promises were true. He was going to bless them in unimaginable ways. He was going to give them city after city filled with wealth. The spoils of war were going to be theirs. And this was the day it was to all begin. But wait just a minute. What was What was it that you said about some ban, Joshua? That that word, that Hebrew word ban, can can sometimes be translated as devoted things. In other words, 
they're devoted to somebody, something else. They're not yours. Don't take them. He was telling the people that the things of Jericho belonged to God. Every last bit of them. It says that they were to be brought into the treasury of the Lord. My question to you is, why would God set aside the goods of Jericho for himself? Well, the answer is is simple, because it was the first. It was the first city. It was their first conquest, and the first belonged to God. It was the first fruit of the promised land, and it belonged to God. Now, if you know the story, did the Israelites honor the ban? (laughs) Well, except for one guy, Achan. He went in and said, man, that gold looks really good. And he took a little bit of it, and he hid it, and the Israelites went on to Ai, the next city, to conquer it, and they were routed. And Joshua said, Lord, what's this all about? And he says... (laughs) The people did not honor my requests, my commands. They went back and they took care of Achan and then marched on. (laughs) And so my second point is this. Give your first and best to God and you will be blessed. Looks familiar, doesn't it? Another story, 1 Kings 17, God instructs Elijah to go to Zarephath because there's a widow there he had instructed to provide for him. So so he goes and he asks the widow for some bread. He says, would you feed me? And here's what she says in 1 Kings 17, 12 through 16. She says, but she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. I only have a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I can go, may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. This is a real encouraging story, isn't it? All right. <laughs> I just have enough to go in and have one last meal before we expire. And Elijah says, after that kind of response from the widow, he says, do not fear, go, do as you have said, but have this request. Make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me and afterwards you may make one for yourself and for your son. (laughs) For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. And so she went and did according to the word of Elijah and she and he and her household ate for many days. The, bra- the bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Uh, can you imagine what had been running through her mind? She only has a handful of flour, just a little oil. She has so little that she knows that this is our last meal. There's not going to be anything left. We're going to die. And the man of God, the prophet, the Elijah, he comes and he speaks the promise of the Lord to her that if she will step out and obey and do exactly as he says, that there will be a blessing, a benefit to her that she will not be able to understand or contain. So there's the call to obedience. There's a call to respond to the Lord. And there is that obedience to the response uh, to the call of the Lord and then the miracle. And so I have to ask myself, If I were the widow in that position, would I have done it? Would I have done it? 
wouldn't you have at least been tempted to ask if we could do this the other way around? If he's going to make the flour and the oil endless, can't we just get that going first? <laughs> I, I mean, it would make the whole thing run a lot smoother. But is, 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 is the Lord really about the flour and the oil here, or is he about something deeper? He's really about her heart. He's really about exposing his glory, <laughs> the miraculous working glory of God. She agreed. She obeyed. She believed the word of the Lord and gave all she had and received back much more. And so my third point is this. Give your first and best to God and you will be blessed. You know, it's not just an Old Testament thing either. This, this runs all the way through Scripture. Look over in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. It says this. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ will all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Even here in the New Testament, Scripture wants us to know that God gave His first and best for you and I. Christ, the one and only Son, overcame death. He was the first to come up out of the ground, just as the first fruits of the spring harvest come up each year. Because He rose, we then also can rise and be made alive. You know, in just a few weeks, we announced it. We're going to celebrate the Passover once again. You know, the feasts of the Lord, seven of them, given to the Jewish people in the book of Leviticus, were called the appointed times of the Lord. To be celebrated by God's people forever. As I said earlier, if you've never been to a Christian Passover, I hope you'll come because um, you're going to see Jesus in every part of it. You'll, you'll see how the whole event was to prepare God's people for the coming Messiah. And when he was with his disciples on that last night, he told them that this Passover has always been about me. After the meal, it says he took the cup, which we know is the third cup, the cup of atonement. And he said, this is my blood. This is my blood, which will be shed for you. All you uh, Jewish people in the room that have been celebrating for this your entire life and generations past, it's all come to this culmination. It's always been about me. This is my blood, the blood of atonement. There's also two other Jewish feasts that happen the same week as the Passover. The Holy Week, as we've come to know it. They're called the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of First Fruits. And today, the other two, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of First Fruits, are kind of, they've almost been kind of grafted into Passover. <laughs> and and they, sometimes they kind of get, even lose their, um, their focus, their, uh, the, the, the emphasis upon them because they're kind of overshadowed by Passover, but they were, be meant, they were meant to be celebrated as the work of the Messiah. 
Unleavened bread meaning that, uh, that, is, that represents purity. Leaven represented sin. And so unleavened bread was that which was sinless. The spotless Lamb of God, Jesus, took the sins of the world into the grave and defeated the enemy. And then on Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, there's the other feast. And it's called the Feast of First Fruits. What happened on the Sunday after the crucifixion? <laughs> he rose from the dead. Sometimes when you study the feast, you just say, okay, I finally get this. <laughs> I understand what you're trying to communicate to me. That Jesus rises from the dead as the first to rise from the dead so that that risen life can be imparted to you and you and you and you. And that we would understand that God gave his first. He wants us to give our first. You know, and I think of people in my life who have demonstrated the whole principle of first fruits. You know, I think of my parents. I mean, my parents were, they, they committed before they had any kids. And my dad's told me this story that they committed before they had any kids that this is what giving was going to be first in their life. And when we were little, there was five of us. There's five of us kids in six years. I'm the second of five. We lived in a three-bedroom, 1,100-square-foot home, five kids, mom and dad. Some of you are going, well, that was pretty normal. Today it's not normal. We thought it was normal. My dad was working uh, trying to get his degree. I remember when my dad got his college degree. I was, I think, six years old. <laughs> We always tease him, you went to school 16 years after high school to get a degree. <laughs> Working full time. My mom stayed home with us. And I remember one day going in there, my dad just, he's writing out the bills and he was just kind of wrestling around with stuff. And I could tell he was a little bit agitated. And I said, Dad, what's wrong? And he said, Oh, it's no big deal. I'm just trying to figure out a way that I can make these numbers work so that we can buy a broom this month. And I don't know, as a six-year-old kid, that just seemed odd to me. <laughs> I want to say, don't we have enough for a broom? <laughs> Can't we get a broom? And yet, as I've grown, <laughs> I know that it never occurred to him. It would have even been in his thought process to think, you know, if I just held back a little bit of what I give, I could get a really nice broom. <laughs> it wouldn't even have been in his thoughts. And you know, when my parents retired and I remember a conversation I had with my dad. And my parents aren't millionaires. When they retired, all my dad could say is, God has been so good to us. God has blessed us in so many he says, it is such a blessing to put God first. And he looks back at the, the struggles of those earlier years and uh, 
He sees where God brought him. And so my fourth point is give your first and best to God and you will be blessed. There's a couple of proverbs that I just want to leave with you today. I'm going to use, on these two, I'm going to use the New Living Translation. I just kind of like the way it reads. Listen to Proverbs 19.3. It says, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. (laughs) People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. I want you to know I have seen that play out over and over and over in the lives of people. Then there's one in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. And then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. And once again, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that play out in my own life, people close to me, people I know. You know, Jesus told his followers not to worry. Well, let me ask you, how is that going for you? He just says, don't worry. Why did he say don't worry? He says, look at the birds of the air. (laughs) Do I take care of them? He said, look at the flowers of the field. Do I take care of them? (laughs) He says, don't worry. Look at at my provision. Look at how I've... And he closes that with that great verse, right? That, that, That little scene that he paints in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. He gets to the end of that, the birds and the flowers, and he says... Don't worry, but seek ye first, what? (laughs) The kingdom of God. Seek ye second, third, last. (laughs) Seek ye first. And all these things, they'll just be added. They'll just be added in. Give your first and best to God, and you will be blessed. I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for the timeless truths of your word. And there's so many things that you have just built into uh, the DNA of this planet and this culture and the, the reaping and sowing and the giving and blessing. And, and Father, there's just uh, so much truth that we see through the consistency of your word. And I pray, Father, as we digest the meaning of first fruits today, that it would, it would come to us not in a guilt-producing way, Father God, but that there would be this, this promise that really takes root in our heart. This promise that you have given to us. And it, it's not a promise to make us rich. It's not a promise to... Uh, for you to obey our desires. It's just merely the promise of blessing. 
And Father, I am praying for that promise to just take root in the hearts and lives of each and every one of us here today. There's some of us here today that you want to take to a new place. A new place in generosity. There's things that you want to do in and through us for the kingdom's work that... uh, We just place faith in you to say, okay, Lord, if you want me to take that kind of step, I will. And for some, Father, it's just that initial step of just saying, is this promise really true for me? Oh, I pray, Father, that faith would well up in them and that they would not put you over a barrel or not demand of you, but they would just say, I'm just going to give of the fat portions of my life. I'm going to give of the best and the first, and I'm just going to do it because I love him, and he's done so much for me, and he's blessed me in so many ways, and I just want to worship him through generosity. Oh, and I pray, Father God, that the, the richness of heaven would just be poured upon them in such a way that they would know in the core of their being the blessing of God. That they would know that this, there's a God who sees and knows and lives within. Father God, would you just break down any barriers that we have that keep us locked in a prison of either selfishness or fear or worry? Father, may we break through that. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. And amen. Would you stand? Let's sing that song again that we sang earlier. I live. Be my trust, my constant vision. Be the water I drink, the treasure I seek, more than gold. Be the fire in my heart. Be consuming love and passion. Be the air that I breathe, the song that I sing from my heart and soul. Jesus, Lord over Here is your heart.